You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut to the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. It's Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast, and today we have Megan Foltz, who is the VP of Marketing at Humankind, and she is a nurse, so I'm very excited, Megan, to have you here, so thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Katie. Uh, So give us a little bit of background about you as a nurse, like what kind of nurse are you, how did you get started, and how did you get involved into Humankind? Yeah, um, so as far as the professional side of my career here in nursing. Um, I've been a nurse for, I think this is year 13 now. Um, The first five years of my nursing career were in the intensive care unit at a local hospital. And currently I am a pre-op nurse. I've been doing that for the last eight years. Um, my, My meeting up with my husband and being a part of Humankind all started in 2012. Um, so I had actually been leading medical teams down to Haiti in 2010 after the earthquake. And what I found in that fall, that October was a massive cholera outbreak. And so I ended up on the front lines of, um, taking care of patients that were sick and dying of cholera. And that kind of changed everything for me in that minute. That was like a massive, um, shift in my thinking and my awareness Obviously, as a nurse, we're all trained um, to want to save, to want to get people healthy. That's why we have stepped into this calling. And um, witnessing somebody dying from something so senseless, like not having access to clean drinking water, just really started a fire burning in my gut. And so unbeknownst to me, while I was in Haiti feeling incredibly frustrated, I didn't know how to do infrastructure. I didn't even really know what that meant. I was like, I I don't know how to get people access to clean drinking water. And yet this is cyclical and stupid, honestly, that, you know, (laughs) we're going to, we're going to rehydrate. Like you don't have to die of cholera, right? So we can rehydrate you. But the truth is, if we're going to send you back to a dirty water source, you're going to get sick again, obviously. And so I just felt like I was beating my head against a brick wall, which I think is where a lot of us as nurses immediately say, okay, we got to do better than this. How can I be an agent of change? And so unbeknownst to me in that same time period, my husband, who was a youth pastor at the time, um, was feeling called to start a bottled water company and donate 100% of the net profits to clean water projects in developing countries. And so um, we did know of each other in 2000. And 12 years later, our paths crossed in 2012. Um, I found out that he had started this company called Humankind. They were super little at the time and uh, reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I, I don't know if you remember me, but it feels like maybe we should like get a couple of coffee and talk about clean water and sanitation. So if that's not an invitation for love, Katie, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's I awesome. love it when you say, let's talk about sanitation. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use that one the next time I go out. <laughs> that's awesome. So, I mean, how did you even get to lead teams down to, to Haiti? How does something like that come up? Yeah, you know what? So in January of 2010 is when the earthquake hit and I was working a shift that day in the ICU. I had uh, been a nurse for just a couple of years 
and I said to myself, you know, like they must want critically trained nurses to be traveling down there, right? Like, I feel like I've got something that I can offer. And I started reaching out to the Red Cross. I was all in, all about it. And they really were like, unless you have disaster relief training, we can't take you at this point in time. And what happens um, in um, crises of that magnitude is that obviously there's not enough resources to take care of the people on the ground, let alone if you start coming in and now you're just another uh, mouth to feed, you're another person that needs a place to sleep at night and we just had a massive earthquake so it was really challenging to actually get into the country and so as i continued to and i just truthfully i just started praying about it i was like god listen i'm ready i'm standing at this door whenever you want to open it i'm ready to go and so just through that organic conversation that happens when you're doing rounds with your doctors. Uh, one of the doctors heard about my heart and my desire and he connected me with another physician and said, hey, she's really excited, she wants to go. And that physician said to me, hey, I'm not ready to go down to Haiti right now, but if you wanna go, I'll connect you with the organization that I work with down there. Why don't you put a team together and go? And so I literally landed on the tarmac in the north of Haiti without ever having stepped foot in the country previously. Um, and everything that I had for the week was in a backpack on my shoulders. And I remember getting off the plane and my team looked at me and they were like, now what? And I, said, <laughs> I said, I don't know, let's go find out. And that's exactly what we did. Well, that, that's amazing. So how many times did you go back down to Haiti after that? I was in Haiti a total of 11 different trips. Um, and honestly, the only reason that I'm not there, so Haiti is my heartbeat, okay? Like these countries are just incredible. Um, but when I started working with humankind, one of the things that I get to do is lead vision trips. And so after a while, you know, it's funny when you work in a hospital, they would like you to actually work and not just take vacation time so that you can go <laughs> globe trotting. And so I kind of had to just start deciding where my time was going to be and energies were going to be um, spent and utilized. And at that point in time, I kind of shifted out of the medical teams and over into more of the vision trips, education, really got all in with like the hydrophilanthropy side of stuff. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty impressive. So you started this in 2010, then you met your husband in 2012, right? Yep. Okay, and so how did, um, how were they, I guess, uh, fixing the cholera outbreak before the bottled water or whatever the solution was? How, what was the solution or is it still an issue? It's still an issue, unfortunately. So, um, so cholera came to Haiti because of the UN. The UN is stationed in Haiti to try to maintain peace there's just like like i said there's not a real solid infrastructure in haiti unfortunately actually it's considered a fourth world country um it's the poorest um country in the western hemisphere so you've got basically a country that's the size of maryland with 10 million people in it oh, wow. and they've got a very um corrupt political system they've been taken advantage of people are desperate. And so they do desperate things, which is often the only time that we really hear about Haiti in the States is if they are rioting or there's you know, political coups and things like that. And I'm not saying that's not terrifying, but I'm saying that when you're desperate and you don't have a voice, you use whatever means that you have to try to get somebody to see you. Um, so 
typically what happens, especially because of the nature of the hunk of land that is Haiti and the Dominican, is it's very porous. So even when there is a rainy season, you can't just use a well typically, because even if you are able to access an aquifer, um, there's not a natural filtration process that happens with the groundwater because of that um, sort of rocky, hard course. It's, it's sort of just like a uh, dried up sponge. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's mm -hmm. so porous that even when the rain falls, and seeps through to the aquifer, there's not enough of a natural filtration process to happen. So even if you do have a well often in Haiti, unless it's been treated um, or has some sort of additional filtration process, people would need, like I said, an additional um, support in place in order to get access to clean drinking water. So unfortunately, when we were dealing with cholera, cholera still rears its head. Um, especially during the rainy seasons. Like I said, the, the UN brought it in. They accepted responsibility in 2018, um, even though we knew in 2010 that it was because of them. And basically, um, they, the people that were there from the UN were from a country where cholera is endemic. And um, the, the bathroom and sanitation facilities within the UN compound failed. And so all of the sewage was being dumped directly into the water sources, which is the oh. river streams. And that's how people got sick. So when I was there, which was immediately, it was within like the first week of cholera coming for the first time in 50 years, you can only imagine the level of stress and fear that people were under because they were just watching people just dying within 24 hours and had no idea what was going on and what was happening. Um, it was incredibly, incredibly tense in the country. Um, and so unfortunately, cholera is still there. It's still going to rear its head during the rainy season. Um, there's not a lot of great things that you can do other than start educating on clean water, hygiene, things like that. But here's the problem. I know like this, I feel just like doomsday over here. Sorry, I don't mean to be like that. Um, but you have to like figure, you have to know where you're starting at, right? Like what's the problem? And the problem is, is that even if you educate people, um, and you try to keep things as clean as possible. So the world health organization who, um, doesn't even focus as much on clean water initiatives as they do for the sanitation. Cause if you think about it, your clean water is only going to stay clean for so long. If everybody is still going to the bathroom near the rivers, there's poor sanitation, there's like no infrastructure to take care of body fluids and waste. And so you also have the animals. So, you know, we're dealing with cholera and the animals are running around and like eating body fluids and waste that is riddled with this bacteria. And you're just like, oh my gosh. I mean, obviously now that dog is going to go poop near a riverbed and it's just going to keep this life cycle of bacteria going. Oh my God. Right? So it kind of feels like you're trying to bail out the Titanic with a teaspoon. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to join me? We're all about fun and celebrations <laughs> with Katie here this afternoon. <laughs> Sorry, Katie. Exactly. I know you guys have like some kind of solution in the works. So what is it that humankind is doing and, and what is your kind of like approach to this? Yeah, so our solution is education, um, going into countries and making sure that there is local ownership so that there is actually sustainability. We don't want to be the Western white people riding into the rescue. Like mm -hmm. a lot of times people are 
smart. They just need to have opportunities. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, um, those are kind of the, the big key pieces. We obviously do wells, we do rain catchment systems, we do water filtration systems, and we do all of that and it's funded because of our beverage company. So Humankind is a bottle of spring water. We also have a line of organic iced teams and lemonades. Every bottle that you buy provides at least 50 gallons of clean drinking water. And then we take those dollars, send them over to our nonprofit, which is Kind Human. And then obviously they get distributed back out into the communities in Africa, um, Latin America, and India. So this problem exists um, all over the country or all over the world. Big time. You're not necessarily always fighting against cholera, but you almost are always fighting E. coli and other waterborne illnesses. Okay. And so you guys provide um, the means for them to be self-sustaining with clean water. You got it. Absolutely. And it's, it's amazing because I think sometimes we take for granted everything that we've been taught in the United States. So like we just intrinsically know at this stage of our life that after you go to the bathroom, you should wash your hands, right? Like we just do that automatically. We don't even think about it because that all starts in kindergarten. But we've been in countries that they didn't want to drink the water that came from the well or the filter because it didn't have a smell because they had never experienced water that didn't smell. <laughs> Can you imagine? No. no. <laughs> Um, you know, I, and I can appreciate, I'm looking at your website now and there's a, a little girl there and it's talking about how she used to carry 10 liter jugs of water up a steep hill. Yeah. And uh, I, back in 2010, actually, I was in Cameroon and doing oh. a, yeah, I was working over there in the OR and uh, they would lose electricity all the time. And the mm -hmm. one time I was, there, I was there for three weeks and out of those three weeks, 11 of the days they had lost electricity. And I was there with a couple of other nurses and we literally had to walk down to where everybody else was getting water and fill up this massive, you know, just jug and bring it back. And for the four of us, we had to share this jug of water. So all of a sudden we're like, well, do we really need to flush the toilet? Do we really need to <laughs> take a shower? Yeah, because it was a lot of work. Like, it's not like you just go down and get water and you're good for the week. Like, it was every day, these heavy, heavy jugs of water and, you know, you're rationing them and it was, it prevents you from doing other things or, or you know, just thriving in other ways. Right. Or even being able, so the little girl that's on our website, her name is now Jay Jane. Um, it's preventing them from going and getting an education, which honestly, if you're in a, a country that's poverty stricken, one of the best ways that we're going to get you out of poverty is through an education. And if you don't have time to be there because you're walking six miles, which is the average distance to get water, um, and or are sick because you've been drinking that water um, that's dirty, now you're not getting the education. And especially for women, right? Like, a lot of times in other countries, we don't have, women um, don't have the opportunities that we have here in the United States. They're already kind of looked at as like second-class citizens. And so especially supporting them and getting them into a space that they are healthy enough to receive the education so that they can become their own difference makers and, and hopefully be able to direct their own life. So yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so layered. It's such a layered problem. It's, a layered approach um, as far as giving an answer and a solution to it, you know?
Yeah, yeah. I mean, water is so, and that's another thing I've just been watching, learning a, whole, a lot about water and just, you know, the wars that are done over the control of water and, you know, because the access to water is, it is life, <laughs> you know, basically it is everything. Yeah. Um, so now your company is set up how? Is it for-profit, not-for-profit? All of the above. So, so what happens is our beverage company, the water, the teas, and the lemonade. So we're up here. You're in Philadelphia, right? Yeah, yes. Okay, so we're in Lancaster County. Um, mm -hmm. So we're only headquartered an hour and a half from you guys. Um, so that is a for-profit company that in a lot of ways acts like a nonprofit because of the fact that we do give a portion of our sales to clean water projects. Our water um, is always 100% of the net profits going off to clean water projects. And that equals roughly 100 gallons of clean drinking water for every bottle sold. And then the tea and the lemonade, like I said, 50 gallons of clean drinking water. So that's your for-profit. Our nonprofit is Kind Human. That's where dollars and donations are gonna be given directly out to the field. That's where everything is getting funneled to our hydrophilanthropy partners. So what we, what we realized is that, you know, in order for this to really be sustainable, you've gotta have boots on the ground in the country all the time, 24 seven. Like we don't just want people to, you know, be able to get a well or access to clean drinking water because our team has showed up twice a year. And so like our partners in Africa, Ugandan Water Project, they're incredible. They are the best practice. They know the ins and outs of working with um, governments, with the local authorities, you know, depending on what country you're working in, obviously there's different red tape that you've got to go through. We try to make sure that we're partnering um, and working with them instead of working against them, which sometimes happens because in societies where the infrastructure is just not very strong, sometimes it's easier to be like, meh, we don't care about all your rules and regs. We're just going to do our own thing. Well, you know, that might be okay for a little while, but we just really want to try to work with them as much as possible. Cause again, we're trying to, we're trying to change, honestly, uh, a mentality. We're trying to bring um, an awareness and an education piece and have that sustainability. Like long after that well is in place, we want it to, to continue on. Um, the Peace Corps did an awesome job back in the 70s, putting a lot of wells in. But to date, I think it's like over 70% of them are defunct. They're no longer functioning and there's no maintenance plan in place and nobody took ownership of it on a local level because it was the Peace Corps. It was the white person's well. And now it doesn't work. And now we're right back to our dirty water source. So what we're trying to do is basically just know better, do better kind of thing. And, and I think we do that in nursing all the time, right? Like evidence-based practice, tell me what works now. Tell me what's better than what we were doing five years ago. Like I can say, I really appreciate that background training um, in what I bring to the team now, because that's just now how I clinically think every time. It's like, well, what's, what's evidence-based research say? What is this, what is best practices? Like just because we did it five years ago, does that still make sense for today? And if it's not, let's just say like, we need to course correct and, and do better at this point in time, you know? Right. So how do you find these partners? Do you actively go to these locations and um, like, how do you source them so that they're not just kind of like pocketing half of the money and, and. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good question. So we do have uh, a, a vetting out process and then our, our board has approved that we need to be in country um, at a minimum every two years with our partners because 
obviously we're trying to make sure that everybody's having honest conversation all the time, but we have found that it just is easier that if we're actually in country, if they know that we are coming, um, it just seems to have like a better flow to it and a better relationship. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, um, we, we found partners from, sometimes they find us and they say, Hey, you know, we would love to be doing like more well projects. Um, we just need the additional funding. Cause let me tell you, there is a huge need out there. There we're not at a loss for where we could spend our dollars. We just need more dollars to spend. Um, and then to date the partners that we're currently working with, my husband and I have been able to be in country with them. Um, I think all of them we've been in country like multiple times and we're always looking um, you know, for new partners, if, if there's a need. So like in the Dominican Republic, we were like, you know, we could probably have like another partner in the DR. So let's go down there and let's like meet some people and let's talk to them and see what they're up to. And, um, and so it's been really great because we do look to them to be the experts, like I said, in, on the ground. Um, so we need to have a really solid relationship with them. And it's been, it's been wonderful. Honestly, I love being in these countries and, and learning from them and, and being, taught why you know steel pipes are better and i like everything i mean it just kind of blows your mind and but they do really really solid work so that we know the transparency that when we come back and say to potential donors or you know we're standing at our fundraiser or having conversations like this like we feel really 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 solid about where your dollars are being spent mm -hmm. Um, and so you guys on these trips, do you take other people with you, like other nurses? I imagine people want to travel with you now. <laughs> um, they do. So it's super fun. On the side of our tea and lemonade bottles, it actually, there's a little picture of a grill in India and it says, come with us and meet the people you're helping. And so we do lead teams internationally. Um, we titled them vision trips. And the reason is because it's gonna look a little different. Um, obviously we're trying to empower the people that are on the ground. So that means that we're not necessarily coming and doing all of the work. It's a little bit more about being, it's a little bit more about going into the communities, understanding their way of life, listening to their stories. Um, yeah, being learners, I guess, more than anything, because so many times we are used to being doers, we are used to being the ones that are teaching and educating, and that is all wonderful. Um, but it's great to be one, a recipient um, and to just, like I said, collect their stories. I feel like I'm an ambassador a lot of times, that's the word that I use. When I come back and I share their stories, or you know, we, we talk about Nawa JJ and we put her up on our website, um, the video and, and the information that you were seeing, Katie, is from actually two and a half years ago when we were in Africa. This past November, we traveled again down there and she didn't know that we were coming to her village and we surprised her in school. And so now she's 13. She was in the classroom of like 70 other kids oh and God. walked in and I got so emotional. <laughs> I mean, I was just, I was in tears and it was awesome to see her. And guess what? She's in school because she doesn't have to be going and getting um, the dirty water anymore. She's got a working well that is literally within steps of her school's front door. And so a lot of times even the wells are placed near school or near a church. So somewhere that the community is going to sort of gather like a, a natural hub for that community. Wow. Um, so, I mean, this whole story is amazing because you really um, set this course for yourself in that you took it upon yourself. Like most of us, uh, you know, it's not that we didn't care about the the earthquake in Haiti, but most of us figured that somebody else would do something about it. And 
you took it upon yourself to insert yourself into the process uh, and in any way that you could. And now you are traveling all over the world, promoting clean water and bringing clean water to people and changing people's lives in these various countries. So that must feel amazing. It feels amazing, but it feels crazy because, you know, you just never know where life is going to go. When I, <laughs> when I said yes to being a nurse, I mean, I knew that that was a calling. And I think so many of us in the profession do feel like it's a calling and it's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. But I had no idea when I was standing in the grounds and outside the cholera clinic in Haiti and feeling frustrated. I mean, I just didn't know what all was going to come next. And so I feel ridiculously humbled and just so crazy in love with the fact that I get to wake up every morning and go do something that I'm just super passionate about. And I think that we as nurses have an amazing voice and an amazing platform. And that was really the only decision that I really made that day. Um, that I, the very first day that I witnessed the collar, it was within like 24 hours. And I was just like, you know what? As long as I am living and breathing, like I might not be on the stage. I might not have, I don't know, 5 million people listening to me, but I can talk to those people that are in my circles. Like we've got to do better than this. And, and I guess that that's basically my message to every one of us is that we've got people, right? We all have our, our own circles of influence. And so you don't have to be wait to be a, a somebody. I mean, I feel like I'm like the biggest nobody, like whatever. There's, there's a million of me that are trying, you were in camera. You know what I mean? Like there's nurses everywhere doing amazing things. Um, and I think that if we just collectively say, you know, where am I feeling most passionate and how can I change this? How can I see a problem and decide that I'm going to be a part of the solution? And I just, you know, whatever, happen to get a husband out of it too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, and I really love that just kind of, you know, making yourself part of the solution. I think that's so important because, you know, that was one of the things, mistakes I feel like I made in my career was sitting around waiting for somebody to come ask me to do something. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's how it really works. I think you find your passion, you find your problem and you insert yourself into the equation. And yes, it's, it's scary. And yes, it's, um, you know, maybe you don't feel like, maybe you do feel like somebody else should be taking care of it. But when you take ownership of something like what you're doing, it just can lead you in so many different directions and just open up a whole new world. Mm -hmm. So well said. Yes. Yes. All of that. Yes. <laughs> so, you, know, you guys do fundraisers as well? Yeah, we do fundraisers. We're actually having one, um, so I decided that we should do a Philadelphia and Lancaster fundraiser this year. So um, our Philadelphia fundraiser is March 12th at the Marion Tribute House. Um, and then we're also having one up here in Lancaster on March 13th, uh, which is at Supply in Mannheim. I don't know. Are you familiar with Lancaster at all, Katie? Uh, I did um, a rotation, an OB rotation with the Amish people up there. So that was interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> I bet that was interesting. <laughs> What's up? I said, I bet that was interesting. It was very interesting. Yes. I Birth by candlelight were very <laughs> interesting. Are you serious? Yeah. Where's the podcast on that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So yeah, there's a lot of ways for people to get involved. Um, coming out to a fundraiser, obviously there's always ways to make donations. Our drinks are very easily accessible in about 700 rooftops 
Um, Philadelphia, for sure, we've got a lot down there. Um, so the coffee, like a lot of them are the small mom and pop coffee shops, which is my personal favorite anyway, because they've got delicious coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so like Square One, where are you in Philadelphia? I'm in South Philly. South Philly, okay. I don't know exactly what we have down there, but it's really easy to go into our website, uh, behumankind.com, and there's a store locator that you just type in your zip code, and it'll tell you every place that we are. We're in Giant. You know that food store called Giant? Yes, yes, We're yes. there. So anyway, it's really easy to find us. Um, it's super easy to get a hold of me. My my email is like all over our, our website. So <laughs> if somebody wants to <laughs> ask a question or wants me to expand upon something, like, yeah, we're... We're super organic, and like I said, we're we're really personal. You know, we didn't come into this this business because we necessarily were business people. My husband's a youth pastor by trade. Obviously, I'm a nurse, um, and this was just our solution of how we were going to start making an impact on the world. I love that, and I love that your emails all over the uh, website because I can't tell you how many websites I go to, and you can't find who owns it. How do you get in touch with them? It's like they don't want to be contacted, but you want to be crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, this this was amazing, Megan. This is really great. Thank you for doing what you're doing um, and taking this ownership of this. This is just a beautiful story. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks.